Following the service, there will be a brief committal service at the Mount Pleasant Cemetery here in Houghton. And following the committal, the family invites you to a light luncheon in the church community room. In addition to uh, this being a time for of meal eating and fellowship, you will also have an opportunity at the meal to share some of your memories of Al. If you're unable to go to the cemetery, the family invites you to stay, go ahead and go to the community room, and uh, they'll wait for them until they return from the committal. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you also shall live. We have gathered here today to praise God and to witness our faith as we celebrate the life of Alan Smith. We come together to acknowledge God's grace in our lives and to acknowledge our grief at this time of human loss. During this hour, may God search each of our hearts that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, in death, resurrection. Almighty God, you are our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Grant us your light to shine through the shadows of this hour. Comfort our hearts that are heavy with sorrow. Have compassion upon our weakness. Give us a vision of your greatness and surround us with the hope of the larger and greater life that you have promised through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
The scriptures I have chosen remind me of various characteristics of Al Smith, my dad, how he lived his life. The Holy Spirit wrote the letter of Christ on his heart, and by Al's words, prayers, and deeds, he proclaimed the gospel. But in remembering his life, I am also remembering my mother's life, the other half of the Alan Esther one flesh. Let us yield our lives to these truths so that the good life may also abound in us. From the Psalms. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. From Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. From Ephesians. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. From Galatians. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, but at the proper time, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. From Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord you are serving. First Timothy, I urge you, first of all, that requests, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. From Titus. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God, and Savior, Jesus Christ.
I'm Alan Smith's first child, Connie. When I was born, he was 23 years old and on a ship, a Navy ship, in the Pacific. Dad's years in the Navy were just a brief part, a very brief part, of his 90 years. But this period of time made a deep impression on him. It was in this venue that he became a man. It was his first time away from home and Houghton. As a very young officer making key decisions, he found that God was faithful in every situation. Many of you would say that Al was a fairly quiet man. And he was, until he got to talking about Navy experiences. His beautiful blue eyes would sparkle as he recounted stories about his adventures. Several years ago, our daughter, Carrie, whose future husband, Drew White, was stationed as a Navy doctor in Okinawa, asked her grandpa to tell about his days in the Navy and his stop in Okinawa. Two hours later, (laughs) he was still talking and they were still sitting at our kitchen table. Dad was a Navy man. And Dad was a Houghton man. Al Smith was born on the campus of Houghton College in a house that stood behind the Lucky Building. He joined Willard, his brother, and his sister Florence. His father, Henry, was an English professor at the college. Unfortunately, his father died when Dad was only two years old. His widowed mother, Lois, taught art at Houghton to support the family. Dad grew up on campus, finished college, and married his first love, Esther Fulton. He went off to war, and when he returned in 1946, he was asked to take over the college printing department where he had worked as a student. In those days, I hope it's not still true, employees of Christian colleges were not paid very well. As a child, I vividly remember visiting a friend of Dad's, who was also a printer, publishing a newspaper in a small New York town. I looked around his house, and the furnishings, which seemed lavish to my eight-year-old eyes. Later, I asked Mom, how come that printer had so much money? Mom explained that we were like missionaries who made sacrifices to follow God's calling. She went on to say that Dad could make lots more money elsewhere, but he felt that God wanted him to serve at Houghton College. Over the years, Dad proudly gave tours of the campus to visiting friends and family. Each new building carried a story of another of God's miracles, and he would get tears in his eyes when he told of God's amazing faithfulness to Houghton College. Dad was a Houghton man. And Dad was a family man. Though he did not have a father role model, Dad was a wonderful father. And he enjoyed being a dad. And he got lots of practice with six kids. I am embarrassed to tell of an incident that occurred when Mom told me that we were going to have another baby added to our family, which already had five children. As a sometimes smart-mouthed 11-year-old, I replied, don't you have enough? (laughs) I was quickly informed that it was not my decision. 
And later, I was told by mom that she and dad had talked early in their marriage of their desire to have half a dozen children. And today, I must say how thankful I am for number six, my wonderful sister, Audrey. <laughs> she and her husband, Steve, have so lovingly and faithfully cared for our dad. As a family man, Dad loved to take us hiking on Sunday afternoons. We explored all the hills and streams in the area. He would point out special trees and plants and share with us his love of nature. In the winter, we would go driving to find the tallest snowbank in which to play or head for Letchworth Park to see the frozen falls. At night, he would point out the various constellations to this day, I cannot look at the sky and see Orion's belt without thinking of Dad. Dad shared his love of music by having Rachmaninoff or Tchaikovsky playing as we ate dinner. He made sure that all six of us had piano lessons, but also the, that we each learned another instrument. He would even humor us when we begged him to get out his trombone, which he hadn't played since his college days. As children, we always felt loved and important to Dad. Though we were taught that undue pride is sinful, Dad was guilty of bragging about his kids and their accomplishments. He always encouraged us and was positive that we could succeed in whatever we tried. In fact, as I look back, Dad's trust in me kept me from doing some foolish things because I didn't want to disappoint him. In our adult lives, Dad and Mom made it a priority to visit each of us wherever we lived. For my husband, Rich, and me, their visits have been to nine homes in five states. For Audrey and Steve, this commitment involved trips to Liberia, Zambia, and Suriname. Our other siblings have not been quite as nomadic, but they have claimed many visits from Dad and Mom to the same house. As each new grandchild was born, that was another reason to visit and another person to love. As I look out at all the grandchildren who are here, I know that they would have many stories to tell about their fun trips to Grandpa and Grandma's house. Dad was a family man. And finally, Dad was a godly man. Dad committed his life to Christ as a teenager and continued to faithfully love and serve God through the ups and downs that are part of the human experience. As children, we remained at the dinner table for family devotions. Dad would read something short, often from a Bible storybook when we were younger, and then he would pray in such a way that we knew God was real and personal. Just last year, my cousin Liz Foster Green told me how much she loved being at our home for dinner when she was here in college. She said, devotional time was so kid-friendly. God was Uncle Al's loving father, and he wanted that same relationship to be true for his children. From my earliest years, I remember Dad having a little packet of Bible verses in a leather case, and it's still in his pile of treasures. He carried them in his shirt pocket. 
After I had learned to read and we were riding in the car, Dad would hand the packet to me so that I could test him on his memory verses. What an example this was. As children, we were all encouraged to hide God's word in our hearts so that we would know God's teachings and be guided by them. Dad did not throw out unwanted advice. But when asked, he was ready with godly wisdom. On one occasion, when I was going through a difficult time, I telephoned Dad. In conversation, I said, but I was sure it was God's will. Dad replied with an example from his experiences as a navigator on a ship, saying, I plotted the course based on all the information I had. When a bad storm headed our way, I had to recalculate and change the course. Just because you're having a hard time does not mean you missed God's plan for your life. Throughout Dad's life, he and Mom prayed aloud nightly when they went to bed. They prayed for each of us and, in time, our spouses. Then the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and any specific needs that they were aware of. It was so comforting and encouraging to know that they were talking to God on our behalf. When I called our son, Steve, last Friday to tell him of Grandpa's passing, he said, 90 years, six wonderful children, 19 grandchildren, and 21 great-grandchildren plus a lifetime of quiet influence. What a heritage. We have been blessed by God's faithful servant, Alan Smith, whom we remember and honor today. When asked to speak about Al, I realized I had a dilemma on my hands. How does one honor a man who would have deflected any honor with a simple, to God be the glory? Did you know that we have a problem with the roof drain on the community room? And then it dawned on me that that was the short picture I wanted to paint of Al. He was a man who knew how to honor God wanted to honor the Lord, who knew how to honor the Lord with all of his life. Stand with me again by Al and Esther Smith on any given Sunday and listen as they worship. Esther, singing the words she usually knew by heart, joyously trilling the initial R's. (laughs) Al booming out a strong bass so surprising from such a diminutive frame. And know that their hearts were completely given over to the worship of their Lord and Savior. So exemplary in their praying, their giving, their devotion to every phase of worship. And Al, always tuned to the wayward squall of the sound system, was ever poised to jump up at a moment's notice if something needed to be done right away. Al knew how to honor the Lord on a Sunday.
And we all know that Al knew how to honor God every other day of the week, too. Of course, he and Esther were here every time the church doors were open. Prayer meetings, small groups, Bible studies, missions meetings, his beloved men's prayer group, weddings, funerals. It's impossible to list it all. During the last few years, it was my privilege to work here at the church and become, it, it became impressively evident to me that Al wasn't just about church meetings either. He and his buddy, Hirsch Reese, spent a staggering amount of their time cheerfully doing so very many of the mundane, hidden tasks of the church. Al's routine inevitably began with walking into the church door, stopping and listening. I called this his diagnosis mode. (laughs) And then doing whatever needed doing. How often I would hear someone in the hallway and poke my head out the door to see Al slowly walking, stopping, cocking his head, listening as if taking the pulse of the church building, and always finding something that needed to be done. Then he'd see me and say, I hear a toilet running up on the second floor. We need to fix that. And of course, that would unquestionably become the next item on my agenda. As a child of the Depression, Al was tremendously sensitive to wasting resources. His constant nemesis was the needless squandering of public utilities. A light burning in an unused space. A thermostat heating a vacant room a faucet dripping water for nobody, caused him to see dollar signs flying out the window. I'm quite certain that that man could hear a light bulb burning in an unused room at 50 paces. His eyesight wasn't all that great as he got older, but he could hear. More than a few times, it happened that I'd be on my hands and knees in some corner of a classroom or this very sanctuary sometimes working on scrubbing a spot on the carpet or tightening a fixture and suddenly the lights would go out. (laughs) Al had been there, inspected the room, and not seeing me in the corner, he'd gone about his work conserving the use of the church treasury. It's funny when you think about it, but those pennies saved became dollars saved, And those dollars saved became, I'm very sure, in his long lifetime, thousands of church dollars saved to be rechanneled into other more vital ministries. Alan Hirsch were living blueprints of these church facilities, and their fingerprints are to be found everywhere. How often, even now, I peek into some little used space or cubby hole to recognize immediately some piece of their handiwork still keeping the church building together and its systems functioning. Though not a tall man, Al cast a long church shadow. Al so knew how to honor God with his life. Not long before Al suffered his stroke, I had a rare and personally cherished privilege As many of you know, one of the traditional elements of our Easter worship here in Houghton is the Easter morning playing of Vidor's Toccata on the the church organ. 
One of the perks of my job is the opportunity to so configure my schedule that I can take maximum listening advantage of organist Eileen DeBoer's practice sessions. And a few months before Easter, I always seem to find an increasing number of things to be doing in this sanctuary during the time she's making her customary two full runs through Vidor. You can't quite get that music from an iPod. Anyhow, as I say, sometime not long before Al's stroke, I was doing some chore in the back pews right about back there. And Eileen was playing that tremendous audio fireworks display. And I noticed Al coming down the center aisle. He was alone and completely and utterly engrossed in the music. And he didn't see me. He reached the pew where he and Esther so often sat on Sundays and took his place all alone. His face lifted, his arms raised in praise, and I saw a man truly worship God. It will, for as long as my memory remains, be my most poignant picture of Al Smith, and I really wanted to share it with you. Al was a man who knew how to honor God.
Conflicting emotions are a part of life. We often enter into an event or finish a task, and the feelings that we have can only be described as bittersweet. As I sometimes near the end of a book that has especially grabbed me and I've been especially engaged in, I'm happy that I've come to the place where the plot is resolving, but there's a part of me that wishes it wasn't ending. When I attend a sporting event of my favorite team, I'm happy to, that they come out with a victory, but as the game nears the end, a part of me wishes that the score would be tied and the play would continue. And a particularly good concert or performance can, can fill us with a deep sense of joy and, and satisfaction, and yet something in us is hoping to hear more. And today is one of those days in which our emotions are pulled in opposite directions. We're pleased that our friend and loved one, Al Smith, is no longer living with the physical limitations of the body that had been changed and and racked after after his stroke. But we feel a sense sense of relief and joy that he's now in the presence of Jesus, worshiping with Esther, Willard, and millions and millions of others. Nevertheless, despite our joy for Al, we are left with grief and loss and an emptiness that always follows in the wake of death. As I pondered our emotions today and as I pondered the purpose of our gathering today, a word kept coming to my mind. It's a word that's both ancient and contemporary. A word that is both specific and and yet timeless. It's a word that's both human and divine. I just couldn't get away from the word faithful. If you knew Al, and we heard this in the things that Connie and Steve shared, if you knew Al, you you know that faithful is a fitting description of his life. You heard some of the story of that faithfulness as they shared, and I'm sure you have your own stories as I do. In the almost 16 years that I've been here in Houghton, I have come to associate Al Smith with that encompassing idea of faithfulness. And it worked itself out in a number of ways. I was faithful in all of his life. He was a faithful husband, faithful father, faithful grandfather, a faithful friend, a faithful pillar of this church and of this community. He was an amazingly faithful servant. He had a great servant heart that just never seemed to stop. As Steve mentioned for years, Al served the church by, by doing a number of things. He alternated weeks with Herschel Reese running the sound system on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings and about any other gathering in which we use this sanctuary. I can't even begin to tell you the thousands upon thousands of hours that Al and and Herschel spent working in this church once they retired. As this building aged, they tackled project after project fixing this, repairing that. I remember the day, not all that many years ago, when he came to me and he said, in the most matter-of-fact way, Hirsch and I discovered that there was some problem up on the roof, so we went up and fixed it. Just wanted you to know. And I remember looking at him thinking, you guys are up on the roof? Don't go up on the roof. Don't do that. 
And he just looked at me like, why wouldn't we do that? There was a problem. You go fix it. And there's so many things behind the scenes that a lot of us, we didn't even know they were doing them until they weren't here to do them anymore. A few years ago, we, we dedicated the two trees over here on the north side of the building in, the, in honor of Hirsch and Al. And what a great day that was. Their family came, many of them, and, and we just said thank you to them. And, and you look at those trees, and I, I think about their faithful service to God and to this church. And up until he was no longer physically able to do so, Al was in the office workroom every Friday using the folding machines, getting our bulletins ready, and every month folding our newsletter. Time and energy and service were ingrained in his character of faithfulness. And I never once heard him complain about it. It was his joy to serve. But he was more than just a faithful servant. He was also a faithful supporter, a faithful giver in so many ways. He seemed to always exude a positive energy. I can't remember a moment when he wasn't like that. His spirit and energy always seemed to fill a room with positive feelings. He was a calming presence, even when he may not have felt calm. I have to be honest with you. I don't know exactly how Al felt about the organ project that we entered into a few years ago. I suspect that he may have had some concerns because of the the financial investment, the size of it. But I do know this. Once the congregation made the decision, he was the first one to volunteer to help. And he was a calming presence when maybe there was some tension. And he did whatever work needed to be done. He was one of the key people who was such a positive influence on the organ builder while he was here for a number of months finishing the project. But more than anything, Al was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. As much as Al loved his family, his friends, this community, this church, it was all secondary to Christ. For Al, Christ was what made every other commitment possible and significant. You could see his faithfulness of Christ in all of his life's priorities, committed to daily reading of the scriptures, significant time in prayer. He was a faithful prayer warrior when he was at this church and when he was at home. He was committed to the church more than he loved the church. And his faithfulness to Christ wasn't a duty. It wasn't something that that he had to squeeze out of himself, had to make himself do. It was just a part of who he was. It seeped out of him because it was the center of who he was. When I think of how the words of Jesus in the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel come to mind, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I suspect I would probably be a little bit embarrassed by all that we're saying today. And he would be the first one to tell us that he was far from perfect. But we are so grateful for the example of Al's life, of a faithful life well lived. We value and we celebrate his faithful life. But as much as we are inspired 
by what we have seen in Al's life, his faithful life. It's the faithfulness of God that gives meaning to Al's life and death. And this is the central purpose of our gathering today. To remember the faithfulness of God. The scriptures tell us over and over again that God is faithful always, without exception. There's never been and there never will be a moment when God's faithfulness lapses or wanes or takes a break. The writer of Lamentations tells us, I remember my affliction and my wandering and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's people through the ages have recognized and given thanks for God's faithfulness. In fact, it seems that a willingness and a desire to acknowledge that life is what it is only because of God's faithfulness is one sign that we're in the right place with God. Jacob declares in Genesis 32, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant, O Lord. Moses has an encounter with God on Mount Sinai and proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. During the time of Nehemiah, the people of Israel declare of God, In all that has happened to us, You have been just. You have acted faithfully even when we did wrong. And the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, God who called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. In all of life, we need to know that God is faithful to his promises. But especially in times of grief, it is so important to remember that God is faithful. Because it's in the faithfulness of God that our hope of eternity is rooted and grounded. It's because of God's faithfulness that for those who have trusted in Christ, for those who have lived to glorify God, death is not the end. It's actually the fulfillment of experiencing the blessing and the beauty and the joy of all that Christ created us to know. It's the faithfulness of God that gives meaning to Jesus' promise to his disciples on that last night just before he goes to his death. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. This is the promise of our loving Father who is always, always, always faithful. In some ways, Al's life can be boiled down to this. He was faithful to the God who was and is eternally faithful to him. I can't think of a better model for we who are still here living our lives. I can't imagine anything more important for us to know and experience and to reproduce as we move forward from this day. As we remember the life of this faithful servant who embraced the faithfulness of God, 
may it be said as well of you and of me. Amen.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.